Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to today's episode of Everyday Truth. Have a beautiful postcard from Caleb Craig from the Rocky Mountain National Park. What a beautiful scene that is. I've been to the Rockies, and it is breathtaking. So, Caleb, thank you for sharing that, uh, you and your family, and for your kind note uh, on the postcard and, and all of it. I really, really appreciate it. Jeremiah chapter 22 is a brand new chapter today. And remember, last chapter, Zedekiah had sent a message to Jeremiah. And in that message, he basically was saying, ask the Lord to bail us out. At that point, Zedekiah saw the handwriting on the wall, so to speak. And and the, the entire chapter really dealt with, no, it's too late. And here's my message to you, my message to the people uh, it was uh, hard language. Uh, as we have said in this study of the book of Jeremiah, it's a hard truth. And now we're in chapter 22. And what's interesting is the chapter begins with these words, thus saith the Lord. So this is yet another compiled message of Jeremiah. Thus saith the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word. So, when did this message occur? When, when did Jeremiah preach it? Was this chronologically right after the events of last chapter? Because if if this chapter chronologically follows chapter 21, then it's really a, an amazing series of circumstances because what you have in chapter 21 is you have Zedekiah sending some messengers to Jeremiah to pray for him and for the nation. And then in chapter 22, you have God saying, now, Jeremiah, go down to the king's house and give him a personal message. Almost like Zedekiah was afraid to come himself to Jeremiah. And so God says, okay, Jeremiah, you go knocking on his door. That would be a really, really interesting progression, would it not? Now, Unfortunately, we don't know. So because the Jeremiah is has some of these messages that are collected here in the book of Jeremiah, we don't know if this necessarily was a message preached at the same time. Could have been, uh, but uh, we don't know for sure. Watch, watch the message. Either way, watch the message. Verse number two, where Jeremiah now goes down, down to the house of the king. And in verse number two, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, that sittest upon the throne of David, thou and thy servants and thy people that enter in by these gates. So interesting, when God spoke through Jeremiah to the king, he referred to him specifically as the king of Judah, the son of David. And that at once should have been a conviction and an encouragement to the king. A conviction in in the sense of, you're a son of David, and you're not acting like it. You're a son of that man after mine own heart, and you are acting 
in a way that is totally foreign to your legacy. So in that sense, a conviction. But I think, secondly, an encouragement. Because God, back in 2 Samuel chapter number 7, had made a great promise. We call it the Davidic covenant. A great promise to David through Nathan, the prophet. And in that promise, God had said, there will always be a king. I'm going to honor my promise to David by allowing there always to be a king upon the throne who is a son of David. So interesting that God would use that language in approaching the king here in Jeremiah's message. Look at verse number three, thus saith the Lord. So here's the specific message to the king singled out in verse number two, thus saith the Lord, execute ye judgment and righteousness and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor and do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. So what what is the message? The message that God has to the king is quit taking advantage of people. Quit using your office, your position to bully other people. Your policies are policies that are made to enrich yourself. You're taking advantage of the immigrant, the stranger. You're taking advantage of the people that can't defend themselves like widows. This sounds very similar to some of the excoriating words that Jesus used to denounce the practice of the Pharisees, remember, in his public ministry. God takes it very, very seriously the way that we take advantage of people that cannot fight back. He is a father to the fatherless. He takes up the cause of the widow. So we better be very careful about how we treat the people that cannot defend themselves because God takes up their case. And remember, the way that you treat the people that can do nothing to you in return, either good or bad, is really an ultimate reflection of your love for and your dedication to God. So in this case, it indicates that this man was very far from God. Look at verse number four. For if you do this thing indeed, in other words, if you continue to take advantage of the people that can not defend themselves, then here's what's gonna happen. Verse number four. If you do this thing indeed, then shall there enter in by the gates of this house kings sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, he and his servants and his people. But if you will not hear these words, so if you will do this, in other words, if you will repent, then you're going to continue. And there will be future kings of David and things will continue on in the blessings of God's promises. But verse number five, but if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself. Now think about it. God is making an oath And to exclamation point, the oath that God is making, he's saying, I'm swearing by, I'm declaring this by my own character, my own own integrity. I swear by myself, saith the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. What house? The house of David. That I, this will have a reverberating effect upon your offspring that in generations to come, they will look back and realize that this decision that you made to continue on in your pride had such a 
huge negative influence upon the house of David. So it's a, it's a warning. And yet in every warning of God, is there not hope? Because the fact that there's a warning also implies that there's hope. Warnings imply hope. That's a great principle for us to understand because sometimes we, we look at a warning like a threat or a warning like it's all negative. No, but implicit in every warning is hope that God is telling us ahead of time verbally and giving us an opportunity to make amends. And that's what's happening here. Verse number six, for thus saith the Lord unto the king's house of Judah, thou art Gilead unto me and the head of Lebanon. Yet surely I will make thee a wilderness and cities which are not inhabited. So the Lord is using metaphoric language and saying, here's the way I view you. I view you like the beautiful mountain scenes of Gilead and the lush valleys on the other side. I view you as the head of Lebanon. If you've ever been to Israel with me, I've taken you up to a place called Tel Dan, which is on the northern border of Israel, right on the Lebanese border. And you'll not see more beautiful country than that area of the country. Go further north into Lebanon and the beautiful cedars of Lebanon that we often read about in the Bible. What is God saying? God is saying, you are beautiful to me. Uh, you are lush and and beautiful and valuable, like Lebanon, like Gilead. But your disobedience is causing you to be in a position of judgment where you'll be not like Lebanon or like Gilead, but like the wilderness, like a forest cut down, like a, a, a beautiful spot that has been laid bare. That That's the point. How sad. Verse number seven, and I will prepare destroyers. I, God says, I will. I will prepare destroyers against thee. Everyone with his weapons, they shall cut down thy choice cedars and cast them into the fire. So all good things will come to an end why? Because of your disobedience. It doesn't have to be this way. But I will actually be working in and among the enemy. Remember what he said to Zedekiah last chapter? I, I can't answer your prayer because I'm actually going to be fighting with your enemy against you because of what you've decided to do in your rebellious attitude toward me. That's a reiteration of that here in verse number seven. Would you look at verse number eight? And many nations shall pass by this city. And they shall say every man to his neighbor, wherefore or why hath the Lord done th thus unto this great city? So think about it. Jerusalem and, and, and Judah will be destroyed. Uh, that's the coming judgment. And other nations are going to look at it and say, wow, I thought their God was strong. I thought they had a strong God. But, but other nations like Babylon, Egypt, They've overtaken this nation. That must mean that God is not as strong as we thought he was. But th that couldn't be farther from the truth. The point is that although people might say, because other nations with their false gods have destroyed Jerusalem, that that means that God's not strong. No, no. 
What it does mean is that God is strong and that God is real and that God has not allowed his disobedient children. God has not allowed his rebellious children to continue on in that rebellion. And so far from it being a symbol of God's weakness, no, really, it's a symbol of God's strength and God's involvement in dealing with his people, that the whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So God is involved, God is strong, and God does care for situations. It's just the way that you look at it. Verse number uh, nine, then shall they answer when they criticize and say, oh, this means God is weak. Watch now. Then shall they answer because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshiped other gods and served them. Weep ye not for the dead. I'm going to stop there in verse number nine. Why? Why has God this done this? Because of what his children did. This is not God being weak in front of the enemy. Oh, no. This is God being strong enough and loving enough to deal with the disobedience of his own children. Now, what we're going to discover in the episodes to follow in this chapter is that this message that God gave to this king, whether this king was Zedekiah or not, we don't know. What we're going to find is that this was a message that God gave to every one of these disobedient kings. Remember, Josiah had other sons like uh, Shalom, whose other name is Jehoiaz or Jehoiakim or Jehoiakin. And the message that presumably Zedekiah is hearing here is the message that God has been playing on replay, on replay, on replay, because he's been saying this to all the other predecessors of Zedekiah as well. We're going to stop right there and then jump right back into verse number 10 next episode. Hope you'll join us. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.